please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody. It's the GeorgiaCarry.org radio hour. I am here. This is Doug King, your host. And this week, it is the word... It's not bird. It is convention. Convention is coming up. And it is time for us to start thinking about what is going to happen at convention, what all is going on. It's kind of a convention week. I mean, we had the Republican convention. We had the Democratic convention. We've got all sorts of conventions flying around. But I, I think that it's really time for us to zoom in and think about the, the GeorgiaCarry.org convention that's going to be starting here just shortly. The the upside is that this convention, at least, you don't have to worry about getting kicked out for carrying your gun, unlike the Republican convention or the Democrat convention. Uh, the downside is, well, there really isn't a downside because this is best convention on earth, really. <clears throat> when you start to look at everything that goes on at convention, all of the different activities, the the chance to get to meet other people and, and to really participate, to come together, the entire organization, to come together at one point and and really make the connections that will go and and further for the rest of the year. Not only do we have all of our members, but we have movers and shakers in the legislature. We've got people who are are important in media. In fact, media really is the focus of this year's convention. Um, As many of you know, Jessie will be speaking at the convention this year. She's going to be open carrying her new Ruger 1911 and talking on media and women in media concerning the gun politics. And and this is an exciting time to be involved in media. I am really thrilled that I am here and that I, I have this opportunity to, to put a positive light on gun ownership and gun topics uh, in the new millennium. You know, I'm a father of two. I've got the best kids in the world, and, and they are growing up in a world where firearms are seen as being a negative thing. They're, they're portrayed negatively in the media, in the movies and TV shows. You know, there was this kind of backlash. In the early 80s, guns were, were fine, and then Hollywood started to take a hard turn that they, it was because that they were showing guns that violence was happening and that they needed to do something about the guns. And the, I think the, the, the best story arc for showing the, the negative imp- positioning of firearms in movies and in the media is the Lethal Weapon movie series, which um, I was always a fan. I've always have been. I thought they were great movies. But if you watch Lethal Weapon, then 2, then 3, then 4, you can see this progression as firearms become more and more negative in in the movies. And by the time that you get to four, um, they don't even want to use guns. It seems like they're, they're considered an anathema to the characters. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that was Richard Donner and maybe a little bit coming out of Danny Glover. I'm not sure, but you can start to see this kind of shift. And that bothers me because firearms and firearms culture are part of America. 
I mean, this is what make this country great. You want to talk about making America great again, Mr. Trump? Well, you know, the, one of the best things that you could do to make America great again is to restore the gun culture because the gun culture flows from personal responsibility. It flows from uh, a dedication to an art. It flows from, you know, being proud of one's accomplishments and what one can do. And it is an individual sport. It's not a team sport. There, There's no... Team, when you are pulling that trigger, no one can help you through it or pull you, pull it for you or, or help you do it. It has to be something that you do alone in your art, in your sport, in your craft. And so that individualism is purely American. That dedication is American. The personal responsibility that comes for it, only you are responsible for that shot and for what's going on in your life and for making the choices that you make. That is the, the quintessential Americana that we've lost. You know, you look back in our history at, at the founding fathers and, you know, we're talking about conventions, right? Looking, looking at the conventions, the Democratic convention and the Republican convention. You know, there's all this talk, the founding fathers, you know, the founders of our nation, the great, you know, gen- greatest generation. Well, these were people who had firearms ownership intrinsic to their very lives. Every household on the frontier had a rifle. Every person who was part of the greatest generation, they, they went to war and fought for liberty and freedom, not just for Americans, but for the entire world, carrying their M1 Garands and 1911s. And the, you know, they, they understood the, the power and the gravity and the responsibility that came with it. And that is what's missing. If you look at the generation from the, 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 the baby boomers on, What's missing is the idea of personal accountability and responsibility for one's actions. And those are concepts that are intrinsic to the gun culture. So as we have eliminated the gun culture, we have also eliminated the the personal responsibility and the ideas that made this country great. So here we are looking at a country that's trying to figure out where is it going to be in the next millennium. We have started, you know, a new, not just a new decade, not just a new century, but a new millennium. And while numbers are just numbers, still we look at this and say, hey, something is, is, is giving. Something's changing in the world. The world is different than it once was. America is not where it was in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Of course, you know, the flip side of that is we're not where we were in the 1860s, 70s, and 80s either. You know, the, the world does move on, and we have to change and adapt to to remain a leader and a force in that world. I mean, our economy is the largest in the world, although we're vying with China, and China is, is moving up, but t- China is eternally hampered by their lack of a free market system. And we keep putting fetters on our own feet by hampering our free market system in various ways, but still we have an economic engine that's unparalleled in the world. And yet, in spite of that, America is wasting its blood and treasure in foreign wars. We're, we're drawing people away. We're not taking personal responsibility. We, we dole out... I, I just see so many correlations with the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I mean, it really is history repeating itself in so many ways and if you really study the decline and fall of the roman empire if you really dig into it you'll find that it wasn't a steady progression and it wasn't a drop off a cliff every every so often you would have a good leader or a good ruler or a good emperor or three who would lift the the empire back up and stabilize it you know diocletian was able to stabilize the empire in such a way that it really prolonged its life much, much further out. But after that one great ruler or one great emperor is gone, 
or in Diocletian's case, abdicated the throne in, in order to start, try to establish a, a linear succession that would not involve death and turmoil. Um, as you hit those points, the next ruler squanders the advances that were made and puts it back on the downward spiral because the people were not interested in what was best for the society. They were interested in what was best at the moment. And they were interested in what was best for themselves. And they were enacting social programs that were not in the best interest of the, the entire polis uh, of an empire that spanned multiple cultures of multiple time zones. Well, America is just like that. America is a, a culture that is built with so many different divergent forces. There are so many different influences at play. And there are... The, the, there are Goths being brought into the empire now. We have, you know, all of these refugees that have, were brought in and are still being talked about being brought in and, and who are now not on the public spotlight anymore. But there are Muslim refugees being brought into this country every day. And we're seeing the effects of a, and this happened to Rome. I mean, this is exactly what happened to Rome. Rome brought in Goths. They did not try to assimilate. Rome had a policy that when you brought in a barbarian tribe, that you did it in a very specific manner. One, you had the uh, military escort them in, and you had the military escort them in with vastly outnumbering them, vastly, so that they understood that they were a conquered, defeated people, and that there was no way that they would be able to rise up in the face of this giant military that could be brought to bear at them at a moment's notice. Second, they were Romanized. They were given the culture and brought into the fold and tried to get them to be a part of the civilization. They weren't allowed to just go and resettle in a corner of the empire and keep their own national heritage. They became Romans. And those two things in juxtaposition with each other created stability because one, you were afraid to rise up and, and attack the, the Roman Empire because you saw the might of the empire. On the other hand, you were becoming Roman yourself and your children understood that they were Roman. Therefore, there was no need to rise up because you were not a, a separate people apart. You were part of the culture. When Rome abandoned those two principles and the Goths were the, the first uh, tribe that were not given the full indoctrination process, when Rome abandoned that, then they started having internal strife from these groups that were resettling within the empire and causing trouble. Well, we're seeing that again. We had a system in place that when people emigrated to America, that they became Americans, that we were all Americans, that we had one nation under God, that we were indivisible, and that we pursued liberty and justice. I mean, these were the core underpinning principles. Now, you know, we may eat different food. We may, uh, you know, speak a different language. But at the core, we had certain principles that said we are Americans. And, and if you want to be an American, then you have to aspire to it. And you have to take a test and show that you have a knowledge of our history and can speak English. And that these are things that help bind us together, that no matter where you were from, you were now an American. But we've abandoned that in the face of this multiculturalism, and that is leading to sectarianism and even balkanization. So this is very dangerous. So we're looking at, you know, these divergent and, and, and juxtaposing interests of, of different communities and that they don't have a common thread. We need to install a common thread that goes across cultures, across barriers. And what is a better common thread than a gun culture. This is a culture that's not built on who you are. It's built on an activity, but it's more than just an activity. It's not just being 
you know, uh, a, a Scrabble player. It's not just being someone who likes Star Trek. This is something bigger because it involves personal responsibility. It's like karate. It's like any other martial art. My kids. They're asking me to get them into karate lessons, and I'm I'm seriously considering it. They're to the age where I think that they could do it and and start to to appreciate the aspects of it more than just punching and hitting, but getting into the the power and authority and discipline of it. And I, I think that that could be very helpful. And and firearms have that same sort of power and authority and discipline that are necessary for their use, not anywhere near to the degree that you know mastering a martial art like karate would be but uh, still they do have that kind of an aspect or influence folks we're at a commercial break we'll be right back and now back to georgiacarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King Welcome back, everybody. So before we took the break, we were discussing conventions broadly, but also gun culture. And the reason that I, I took so long to talk about Roman culture in in relation to gun culture was because I see a lot of parallels between ancient Rome and our country. And if we're going to preserve our country and not just have momentary blips where, where we get a, a good ruler, you know, if Gary Johnson gets elected, I think that he would be good for the country. If Trump gets elected, I think that he would be very good for the country. If Clinton gets elected, I think that she would not be very good for the country. Those are my personal views. But despite that, all of them would just either delay or slightly accelerate the decline that we're facing nationally. They, none of them, none of the three candidates who are running for president have a platform that would stave off the decline of the American empire. And the reason is, is because they're treating symptoms. Now they, they see a different type of a problem and they see different symptoms as being the most problematic. And, you know, Bernie Sanders symptoms were lack of education and lack of opportunity. Those are symptoms that this country is suffering from. Those are true. I mean, Sanders was right. We need better education. Now, his idea of free education was not very practical because anything that's free is worthless and then it just climbs up the ladder higher, right? I mean, when most kids went through eighth grade and stopped, a high school diploma was a really important thing and it really boosted your income. Now that we force everyone to get a high school diploma, a high school diploma doesn't get you jack. And the reason is, is because everyone has one. So if I, as an employer, am looking and saying, okay, well, what differentiates you from the guy next to you? And you say a high school diploma, I'm going to say, no, it doesn't. Because everyone's got that. What do you have more? So you say, well, I've got an associate's degree. Awesome. Well, that gives you a leg up against everybody who has just a high school diploma. There we go. Now we've got some differentiation. But if you make an associate's degree free and then you encourage everyone to get one, then we're back to square one. It's a Red Queen's race. Everyone's going to be having the exact same diploma. Everyone's going to have the exact same credentials. And so there's nothing to differentiate you from the guy next to you. So then you need a bachelor's. Then you need a master's. Then you need a doctorate. And how far do we push it? And every time that you make education compulsory, then you have to lower the bar because what if you don't get it? What if we say, you know, you have to go through 12th grade. What if you have someone who is not capable of going through 12th grade? You say, well, how could that be? Everybody's capable. Well, not, it didn't used to be that way. You know that back in the colonial period, 12th grade included taking two years of Latin. 
How many 12th graders could you pull out of a public school right now and then they could go and re- and speak and read Latin with you? Yeah. So what happened was we dumbed down the curriculum to make it so that everyone could go to 12th grade. So really, your high school diploma isn't worth anything more than the 8th grade education that your great-grandparents had. Now we've got down to the root of the problem with, like, artificially inflating education. But what if instead of artificially inflating education, saying everyone has to go, we just said, you don't have to go, but everyone who does does better. And that's the economics of it. And what if we made it hard to go? What if we said that you had to work while you went to school? Well, a lot of people wouldn't do it. They'd say, well, if I have to work anyway, I might as well just work and make my money. And there you have more attrition. Every time you do something to make it harder to get the degree, every time you put up more roadblocks, the degree becomes more valuable. And the more valuable it is, then the more you can do with it when you get it. And it separates the wheat from the chaff. And there is a lot of chaff out there right now, folks. There are a lot of people who get by because human beings have this need to protect their own. There are a lot of people that would not make it in in a natural selection environment because they don't have the will, they don't have the drive, they don't have the intelligence, and they don't have the spirit. They don't have that X factor that they need to really be uh, a, a viable human being. My, my favorite book, my favorite book in the whole world is Dune, okay? And there was a sect in Dune that said that their job was to sift people to find humans. Because there are a lot of people out there, but there are very few humans left. Uh, The difference between a person and a human is a person is basically an animal with some intellect. A human being is more. A human being has a, a deeper capacity. They're the people that see the problems and see through the problems and see solutions to the problems and who fight for what's right. A human being caught in a trap, a person caught in a trap would chew off its leg to be able to escape the trap and get away. A human being caught in a trap would wait to kill the person who laid the trap to eliminate the threat to his kind and to his progeny. There are a lot of people out there who are going on their day-to-day lives, ants marching, like like Dave Matthews' band said, right? There are a lot of people out there milling about, going, you know, meal-to-meal, job-to-job, day-to-day, doing their routine, doing what's necessary for their survival, but never contributing, never stepping out, never doing more, never being more, never thinking out loud, never helping somebody with constructive criticism, never becoming But those people who do, those people who step outside, those people who are creative, who are energized, who want to make changes, who want to be something, the people who want more, the human beings out there, we find each other. We're drawn to each other. When we see each other, we recognize each other as being something more. Those are the friends that you make for life. Those are the people who who draw you out and make the connections. And you know what they share? Not universally. I mean, there are some human beings out there who are vehemently anti-gun because of past trauma or, uh, you know, their own delusional thoughts about what causes people to, to respond in certain ways. But one of the common threads that I have found across the board is that human beings are in a gun culture because they respond to the personal responsibility. They respond to the... The feeling that they are accountable for their own safety. 
And so they're drawn into it. I've met, you know, humans who were vegetarians, uh, who were very liberal in every other aspect, but they believe in gun ownership because they, that resonates with their individual sense of personality. So when you go to a place that has a large collection of gun culture amassed in one place, <clears throat> you're going to find more people like you. You're going to find more people who have that kind of deepness to their soul and spirit, who understand that we are more than the sum of our parts. And the GeorgiaCarry.org convention is a great place for this to happen. Also, the, the chapter meetings. I mean, we talk about this all the time, how there are chapter meetings popping up. Now, there aren't any chapter meetings right now because the convention is about to start, but chapter meetings are another place where you draw in. Now, I want to be clear. Just because somebody owns a gun, <coughs> buys a gun, or carries a gun does not mean that they are a deep intellectual or that that is a prerequisite for them to become a member of the gun culture. There are some people out there who are gun nuts and who have nothing deeper to them. I'm, I, I, I met them. They're out there, but I think that there's a higher proportion of intelligent, emotionally balanced, driven people in the gun culture than you will find in a lot of other pursuits. You know, you think that maybe academia would be a place where you would find a lot of the, you know, the intellectuals and the deeply driven and, and the passionate people or maybe politics. But I don't know. Sting put it best. They all seem like game show hosts to me. In, in the end, there's this plasticky feel and people who aren't really real. Well, what makes a person real is the drive that comes from their soul, from their inner spirit, that they want more. You see some people who are twisted and broken, and all they want to do is tear down. But a human drives to be more, to give their children more, to become more, to to find those golden moments where they can do something that's greater than themselves. And the best way to accomplish something is to work in a group. And that's really what GeorgiaCarry.org is all about. If you think about it, this is a group of driven people who sat down and said, hey, we can do more together. Let us work together to change the laws so that we can protect our children. I mean, one of the biggest sticking points for me is campus carry. I am... You all know, anyone who's been listening to this show knows that I had a test case that, that went away because my client wasn't willing to tough it out and, and risk going to trial. But I still think that the law is the law. I still think that this is absolutely insane that the government can just ignore a law that it passed when it doesn't want to. And that it's time for us to stand up and make a change. And that needs to be done as a collective group because no individual is willing to stick their neck out for the entire group. We have to come together and we have to work together. And that working together is drawn together by an organization like GeorgiaCarry.org. It is the lightning rod. It is the focal point that draws our attention and puts our collective energy into one point so that we can accomplish something and campus carry needs to be accomplished this is this is a blight on our society this is a shame for our state and it is an absolute travesty that republicans and democrats alike band together to thwart the will of the people and i i just cannot believe that this is still on folks we're at a commercial break i'll be back in a minute Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> so, when we took the break, we were talking about Campus Carry and GeorgiaCarry.org as a focal point. So, one of the things that I would like to really encourage everyone here to do is to become a member of GeorgiaCarry.org and come attend the convention. Now, we're, we're getting right up to convention day, so it's time to get your tickets, time to make your plans. You want to be coming up to the, the Waverly Hotel up there in, in Cobb County. You want to make sure that you get there early and, uh, on Friday night that you get to partake in the zombie shoot and the poker tournament. Shoot, I wish I could do the poker tournament. It's not a week that I can be there, but, um, the poker tournament is fun and, and a great chance to get to know people and really have a good time. It makes me think about the scene in Maverick where they did the poker tournament. That, that was just one of those phenomenal moments in, in television or movie history. But that is Friday night's big event. Saturday night's big event is a banquet and the, the keynote speaker, um, the gentleman from Breitbart is going to be here talking about guns and, and gun issues in the media. There are panel discussions throughout the day. There's a uh, vendor area where you can buy and, and sell goods. There's um, a chance for everyone to go out for lunch. And in that area, Cobb County, there's a fantastic Chinese restaurant called Jade Palace. I would encourage everyone to, who likes Chinese food to hit the Jade Palace. It's just up the street from there. Um, if you're not a big Chinese food fan, the KFC on the corner has a buffet at noon that's all fresh chicken, and that's really good. In fact, I might hit there for lunch today. Um, uh, other than that, we've got um, everything that's in the mall. There's a few different places. Um, Chow Baby is is in the Galleria over there. There's lots of options. Um, there's Chick-fil-A and Subway and a few other uh, restaurants. My favorite uh, Greek place closed, and it became... Uh, uh, tilted kilt, I think, or something else. I, I don't know, but it, there used to be a really great Greek restaurant that had been there for like 40 years and they closed just a couple of years ago. But it, there's a lot of different venues there throughout the day for you to take your family to something that you can, can hit up and, and have, you know, a good lunch and then go back for the keynote address. If you are a lifetime member, then you get to meet the keynote speaker and have lunch with him. Lifetime membership is $500. Uh, it is a fantastic value for anyone under the age of about 65 because $20 a year adds up pretty quick when you start to think about it. And an annual membership is 20 bucks. So if you want to become a member, all you have to do is do, go to www.georgiacarry.org, click on join now in the top left hand corner, and you can become a member for 20 bucks. If you don't want to join online, just come to the convention. Come to the convention and sign up there. You can sign up and become a member at the convention. You can also do it at just about every festival, gun show, trade show, and other thing going on in Atlanta. The Gay Pride Festival always has georgiacarry.org volunteers down there handing out buttons. And because that is a community that needs to stand up and take personal responsibility because no one else is going to do it for them and they are highly targeted. And that is a, a, a crying shame. That is just an absolute shame. So here we have people who are trying to equip other human beings to defend themselves, regardless of their their creed, race, age, religion, sexual orientation. We want everyone to be able to defend themselves and to take personal responsibility for their actions. And this is a wonderful thing. I mean, everywhere you go, you'll find GeorgiaCarry.org members. You can't drive around Atlanta or Cartersville or Dalton or Dahlonega or Gainesville or Macon or Augusta or Savannah or Tifton or Valdosta or Albany without seeing GeorgiaCarry.org stickers on the backs of cars because we are everywhere. We are legion 
and we know what our rights are. We know what right and wrong means, and we know what our legislatures are up legislators are up to because we are members of GeorgiaCarry.org. As a member, you get email updates during the legislative session. You will know who's voting for what and why, when there are important committee meetings, who you need to call, and what you need to call about. All of this is is of crucial, dire importance when we get to the legislative session. That they know what are that they need to know that we are watching them. And we are. We as a group have our eye on every legislator underneath the gold dome, not just during the session, but in between and throughout the year. As they're coming up on election day this November, we know who the ones who are friends of the Second Amendment are, and we know which ones will say that they're a friend and then hide the bill underneath their desk. So, folks, it's time for us to start to make real changes in this state. We need to really band together and make a difference. And the way you make a difference is becoming a member of GeorgiaCarry.org. If you become a member, then you get the information you need to be able to go out there and fight on a day-to-day basis to keep our rights, to expand our rights, and to eventually get constitutional carry, which is the absolute goal of every free-thinking person in the, in the country that you believe in that you do not need to have a license to protect yourself. And it's time. We're getting there. It is time for us to, to really buckle down and to make our, our wants and desires known. I'm, I'm tired of having to get a permit to do something that I am legally allowed to do, not by the Bill of Rights, but by God himself. This is a God-given right. This is something that is beyond us. This is deontological thinking, folks. This is where we, the rubber meets the road, and we accept that there is something more than just what we can create, because then it cannot be taken away by simple human beings. No person can take away my right to defend myself. They may punish me. They may restrain my liberty. They may imprison me or capture me or torture me. But they cannot take away my right. My right is my right. It is invested in me. It is inherent and inalienable. It cannot be separated out from who I am. The only way to end my right is to kill me. Short of that, my right is invested in me. It is, it is, um, a part of my core and my being and my, my essential self that I can defend myself and others. That I have the right to think whatever I want. Now, you may not be able to say whatever you want, or you may say it and have consequences, but the space between my ears is in, in, it is mine alone. It is intractable, insoluble. It is inviolable. And it is time that we stood up as a people and recognized that these things are important. And it is. These are our fundamental principles. These things build on to create a society that is dynamic and growing and not in decline. These are the kind of principles that gave Rome its head start in the world, but that were abandoned in favor of bread and circuses. And America is going down those paths. We are abandoning principles of inalienable human rights. We are abandoning principles of right and wrong outside of ourselves at a point where you reach moral or or cultural relativism, where every moral decision is based on your own thought of right or wrong, where we become not, not merely, you know, but when we become judges of ourselves, then we are not judged. And with, when every decision is made on what is right for this person or for that person instead of that there are things that cannot be taken away there are rights that cannot be infringed well what what do we have what is society then who are we as a people if every decision is based on what's better for the group 
rather than what's good for the individual. Where, where are we if every decision is, I can vote to take away whatever you have? We're not really a society then. We're a mob. And the mob rule that would come from allowing people to be able to vote themselves largesse is right around the corner. We're looking it in the face. Did you know that in Alabama, um, two-thirds of all of the people in Alabama receive some form of government assistance? We're up to 46% of all Americans receive some form of government assistance? You know, I you sit and think about that. And there you reach a tipping point when you have popular vote, right? Because there are going to be more poor people than rich people. There are poor ye have with you always. There's always going to be more poor people than rich people. And the poor people are going to say, hey, I can just vote and take whatever I want. And that's the point where everything collapses and the, the whole system is gone. And we are teetering right on that brink. The only reason that we haven't gotten there is because of apathy, no joke. The only reason that the poor people are going out in mass and voting to confiscate wealth every which way that they can and redistribute it, the only reason that hasn't happened is because the poor people don't show up to vote. If everybody showed up to vote, the, the shift would be dynamic and drastic and it would be d- devastating. So here we are looking into the abyss and saying, what do we do? Well, we need to start to change people's minds. We need to have a, a culture where... The have-nots don't say, I want to take what the haves have. It's where they say, I want to be a have. Way back when dinosaurs ruled the earth and I was in college, I remember taking a political science class. And we were asked to uh, obtain the original position. I know that may sound dirty, but the truth is, is the original position is a political science theory where you place yourself prior to civilization. So let's say that there are, there's no governments, there's no land masses, there's nothing. You're in the void, right? The darkness was on the face of the waters and the deep and there was, there was, and God said, let there be light. You're right at that second. And you're turned to and say, okay, you get to pick. You get to pick how everything is going to be aligned. You get to pick which countries get the most resources. You get to pick how their governments work. You get to pick everything. But what you don't get to pick is where you end up. So you could say, you know, the U.S. gets all the resources it has and it has, you know, 10% of the population and, and the rest of the world gets gets squat. And you end up living in Bangladesh as a sur- poor serf that has no medical care and die at the age of 11. Or you could say that everybody gets equal, but then, you know, you never get ahead in life. So what's your take on the original position? This is what I was was queried with. So I turned and, and the professor, you know, because he, he was new and did not know me, made the, the absolutely foolish mistake of calling on me. And I said, well, I would take all of the resources, all of the wealth and all of the power invested in one person. And there was this kind of collective gasp on why on earth would you do that? And the professor looked at me with his mouth agape and then he got a smirk and he says, so why would you do that? And I said, well, how many people are playing? You said everybody in this room, right? So I've got about a 1 in 50 chance of becoming the supreme ruler of, of everything and having all of the world's resources. I like those odds. And he shook his head and he said, this is the problem with the original position. There's always somebody who is not risk adverse. That is the issue. We need to be less risk adverse. We need to not try to um, take 
from everybody else so that we have some and make everybody equal. That's that's like the liberal philosophy. That's bring everybody down to being equally miserable. I don't want to be equally miserable. I would rather be miserable and know that there's somebody out there who won the game than to be miserable with everybody else. Because nobody can win. I don't want a rigged game. I want a game where there is a chance that I could end up being the guy on top. I want to become a have, not forever live as a have-not. And if we can get that mentality into people, then all of this, let's take and, and level out the playing field and destroy the the prospects of ambition and hope and, and all of that. If we can get rid of that, then that will go be gone. And people would fight and work hard and strive to better themselves, not because they want to take away from someone else, but because they want to achieve. We're at a commercial break. I'll I'll be right back, folks. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back. So when we were last leaving from the commercial break, I was on some kind of mad tirade, but I'm much calmer now. And so let's go back to talking about the convention in the last few minutes that we have. I mentioned that we're having a keynote speaker from Breitbart. I mentioned that um, it's a Friday and Saturday, that Friday night and Saturday all day, that there are hotel tickets available, that there are tickets still for the convention, that you can become a member of georgiacarry.org there. This is a great place for you to be able to meet people and fellowship. Uh, we used to do... Before we had the big convention, we would do speeches and have a keynote speaker and a lunch. Some of my best friends I've met at these lunches and working through georgiacarry.org. People who have been friends of mine now for more than a decade, I've met through georgiacarry.org. And I'm telling you folks that this is a great way for you to find people who are good people. And I, I would like to be able to say that everybody who's a member of georgiacarry.org is a good person. That's not true <laughs> by a long shot. But the the truth is, is you will find a higher proportion of good people there. You'll find a higher proportion of intelligent people. You'll find a higher proportion of liberty-minded people. And you'll find a higher proportion of people who are like you. And isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't that what life is, is about, is finding a way to bond, finding a moment to bring together finding something that we can find in common and and here is a common thread that leads to a lot of other common threads the gun culture leads to political philosophy political philosophy leads to charity charity leads to friendship and there we are and i think that it's georgiacarry.org needs to get more involved in its communities i think that we spend a lot of time fighting for rights but we don't spend a lot of time reaching out I am so glad to see us reaching out during the Gay Pride Festival. I think there's a lot of other opportunities. I think that we need to have a georgiacarry.org blood drive. In fact, that might be something that they should do at the convention. Uh, Jerry Henry, if you're listening, and I know that you listen every week, we need to do a blood drive at the convention this year. That would be a good thing for us to do as members of the gun culture. Anyway, um so there's there's a lot of things that we do individually that I think that we can have a greater impact if we work as a group. I know a lot of us like give blood. A lot of people give blood when they see it at a Walmart or, or somewhere. But if we do it at the convention, if we draw in at a moment where we are in good spirits and we are 
looking at a, a bright future together, then that gives us a, a, a deeper, more profound look into society. So <clears throat> we're at the weekend. It's a hot, sticky, muggy, nasty Atlanta weekend for me. Uh, I have friends who are up in Alaska who are basking in the 50-degree weather. But for us, it's crawling from air vent to air vent. I hope that you take some time this weekend. If you have children, spend time with them. There's nothing more precious. You don't know how much time you have. None of us really know how much time we have. You could end up in the hospital tomorrow, or you could end up in a fatal shooting, or you could end up being diagnosed. One of my best friends just got diagnosed with a very advanced form of cancer, and it's he has small children, and it's very sad, and we're praying for him and his fight. He was one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Always had a kind word for everybody and, and was willing to help. No matter what was going on, was willing to help you. He, he always gave of himself more than he had. And now he needs others to give to him. And, and here we are. You know, you never know what's going to happen. So take some time with your kids. Get out there and enjoy them. Go do something fun. Go do something educational. Something that they will remember and build on. And reach out to your friends. Spend some time with your friends. And spend some time on yourself. That's something that we overlook way too much in our society. We've got soccer practice and volleyball practice and church group and, and music lessons and extracurricular activities and school functions and work and overtime and meetings and staff meetings and, and client meetings and dinner with the family and do this and laundry and clean the, the bathroom and do the dishes. And next thing you know, you're, you're in bed and it's bedtime and you're trying to get to sleep with everything that's happened in the day. Take some time for just you. Get away from all of it. And take some time to think about what makes you you and why you are who you are and how special you are in the grand scheme of things. We all play a valuable role, not just in society, but in the entire universe. There is no one else that could do what you do. There is no one else that could fill the role that you have. And for everybody out there, there's someone who is dependent on them for their livelihood for their well-being, for their state of mind, for their pleasure. And for all of those reasons, you're indispensable. But you cannot be indispensable and give and give and give until your cup is empty. You can't give when, you're, when you've run dry yourself. So this is a good weekend to take some time for yourself, to get away from the hustle and bustle and stress, and focus in on what makes us individuals. Because the individual is the building block of this great nation. It's the building block of everything we do and accepting individual responsibility. A lot of us are more than willing to accept in the individual responsibility of carrying a gun and being willing to pull the trigger and, and end an attacker's life in order to preserve the lives of the innocent. We look at that as being part of our job or part of our duty. Well, part of our duty is taking care of ourselves, too. And if you have to take some time to do that, then take some time and and... Damn the torpedoes, because it's time that we focus in on what we need to do to be ready for this next year. This next year is going to be a big year. This next year is going to be a new president, a new Congress, people who we don't know in the legislature, people that need to be reminded that we are strong and we are ready, both at the local, 
state, and national level. We're coming into an election season. All the politicians are scurrying around. Let them do the scurrying. Let us focus. Let's find our calm. Let's find our peace and be ready to go to battle come January. Because I'm afraid that no matter who's elected, the battle is coming. It is time to start to make movement, not just stir the waters, but to actually get progress in gun rights. I'm looking at the National Firearms Act. I'm looking at uh, suppressors being on the National Firearms Act registry. I'm looking at national carry. I'm looking at constitutional carry in Georgia. I'm looking at campus carry in Georgia. I'm looking at, at local officials who stand up against rights and say that you can't carry your gun in places that it's obviously legal to, like the botanical gardens. All of these fights are coming to a head. All of this next year is going to be a battle. Let's take August and make the connections we need at the convention. Let's take September and refocus ourselves. Let's take October and prepare for to vote for the best people we can. And then let's go into January with a new renewed sense of purpose, a sense of fight, a sense of direction, and a sense of unity as we bring together a brand new year in which we can make a difference, not just for ourselves, but for our children and their ability to defend themselves, to properly execute their desires, to have a sustainable self-responsibility environment for them to live, to, to raise their children, and that this country can be more than it is again. Trump keeps saying, let's make America great. Well, I don't know that Trump's going to do it, but GeorgiaCarry.org and you sure can. So get up, get going, and I'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.